Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Great turnout today. We're going to talk about some of the results from the class of 2023 fall survey. Uh, we've got a few things we want to run through, get to your questions. Just a couple housekeeping items first. These always come up as questions. Yep, this is being recorded. Uh, we'll be sending out the recording link along with the slides on any additional ad insights to you. And just as a thanks for attending, you'll get that tomorrow, usually morning to midday. Uh, so you can expect to see that then. Uh, there's also going to be a podcast version of this as well. So you can go ahead and listen to the recording if that's your, your preferred way there. Uh, as you have questions throughout here, definitely drop those in the chat. Usually loads on the right side of your screen. Uh, we'll get to those at the end. Um, we'll just we'll just cover those as we go. Uh, I'll let Jeremy introduce himself first and, and we'll get going. It's good to uh, hear everybody, see everybody. And my name is Jeremy Tears. I'm the Senior Director of Admission Services at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Excited to be back doing this again with Will and just appreciate all the continued support that everybody gives us each year as we put these results together, Will's team and uh, the group on our end. I think we, uh, we've got a lot of valuable data to share with you all today. So excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And I'm Will Patch. I'm Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. Uh, so I get to do this type of stuff all the time. Uh, diving right in. Uh, if you if you have your phone out, you can snap this. We'll have it at the end as well. If you haven't seen the survey results yet, uh, just a direct link to them there. Um, overall, this is our third annual TCS niche survey. Uh, so we, this goes out to students uh, who are both on niche as well as just from uh, web searches who are getting there as well. Just really want to dive into how is your college search going right now? What are the barriers? What's going well? Sorry, what's the what's your behavior like right now? And we have now three years of data to compare against. Uh, we had just over 20,000 responses this year. Uh, great number there. Uh, really be able to segment some of these. Uh, this was open August 12th to September 25th. So right there, early on in the search, we want to see how we compare just getting the ball started here. Uh, we did one survey back in the spring of the same audience. Uh, and then we do the annual enrollment survey then uh, next spring. Uh, to see how their entire process shaped up. Uh, students were, had to be in the class of 2023, had to be you know, in high school seniors. Uh, so this isn't talking about transfer students. This isn't talking about uh, those returning students, things like that. This is just that traditional senior year high school students. I'll give you a breakdown there. 61% identify as non-white, 31% first gen, 26% low income. Uh, so a decent range there. Uh, at this point, we always have a lot of students who don't know their household income yet, since this was done pre-FAFSA. Uh, so we always see that that a little lower and a little larger response of students saying they don't know. Um, a little surprising to us, you know, if you've been out uh, in the world for a little bit, you tend to know. But, you know, if you're a sophomore, junior, early senior in high school, you might not know. Uh, we pulled out five results that we want to talk more about today, and then we'll just dive into your questions. The first one here is something that I think is a, a big thesis of this. The students just said they were experiencing too many unnecessary barriers to their success and to their search. Uh, you know, I think education should open doors, right? Not create barriers. So I wanna focus on three barriers that students pointed out quite a bit. So the first one here was the application experience itself. 
So when we asked how to make the college search easier, less stressful, the most common theme was not financial aid. You know, that gets all the headlines, of course. It was the application experience. You know, students felt they were being asked to submit too many things. There are too many supplemental pieces they needed. You know, I would challenge you all, you know, are you really using all of that information that you asked for on application to make that admissions decision? Or is it things that you need later down the line? You know, that's one way to start cutting some of that things, only ask for things we actually need it. Um, you know, things like letters of recommendation came up quite a bit. Do these letters of recommendation really significantly help or hurt all that often? If you go back and look, how many decisions were made either to admit or not admit just based on the letter of recommendation? If the answer is a couple times a year, you know, is that a barrier, is that a hoop we need for students to jump through? Uh, we saw that testing policies were still very confusing for students. So if you say that you're test optional, what does that mean? If you require scores for financial aid, you know, doesn't that really just mean that you're acquiring the scores from the same group that typically would also benefit the most from not submitting them? Right? That To me, that's not optional. If it's required to get money, not optional. Uh, application fees were also a stressor for students. Uh, one student I felt really summed it up best when they said this, and I can picture this kid just kind of sitting back in his chair as he said this, application fees. I can speak for many students when I say that they are overwhelming. You know, thoughts of what if I spend this money for nothing? And if you're applying to multiple colleges, right? That That's a lot. You know, because many applications, many applicants, this is stress and anxiety. College students stress enough without thinking about the money that schools, you know, that just needs to be one thing we consider. You know, is this a help or is this a burden on students? Second barrier here was website. This was the second most commonly cited issues for students. Also, not financial aid, I want to point out. Uh, you know, this was something that the students over and over said was a challenge for them. So you need to think about who is your website built for? Is it structured to and speak about the internal audiences, the internal structure? You know, does it read like an alumni magazine? I would say that really it needs to speak to prospective students and parents. Uh, the students talked about having to click through so many pages, trying to find just basic information like costs, deadlines, relevant, relevant information about your programs. You know, you need great site search, yeah, of course, but that should not be your plan for navigating the site either. How easy is it from any page on your site to find the inquiry form, find the application, find all these things that students are looking for? Third one I want to dive into a little bit more was the actual visit. Uh, you know, this is one thing that Jeremy's going to dive deeper into in just a little bit. The majority of students said they had not visited any campuses yet. So, you know, that's that's something there. Um, as of the time we asked, even fewer first-generation, low-income, and underrepresented minority students had. So why not? Uh, the most common reason there was that they said they lacked the resources to, in terms of the time, the money, transportation. Second most common, and this might be a surprise to people, was that students said they were waiting to decide where they were going to enroll before visiting. You know, the search is continuing to move online. We've seen this. There's a reason that, that I went ahead and wrote a playbook about reaching window shoppers, these students who are not coming forward and engaging in traditional ways. They're looking from afar, collecting information, making decisions. This was followed closely by not knowing how to go about um, visiting, how to schedule that visit, um, and then saying that they want to be accepted first. And, you know, I can relate to that. I didn't want to take visits before being accepted. Uh, one of the things that got mentioned a lot uh, was just a distaste for impersonal tours as well. They said groups were too big. They said the speeches felt canned. They, they were covering the same information they got from the videos online. 
You know, there's no time for questions, no one-on-one. The focus on walking around, pointing at buildings instead of focusing on the student experiences in those buildings. There's a lot to be said about the comflows, right? You know, I say the same thing here. It does not matter what you want to tell them. All that matters really is what the student needs and wants to hear. I was at a great session at AMA earlier this week with Sienna and CCA where they were talking about completely redesigning their student experience and their student visits around what the student has experienced, what they want, what do they need. It doesn't matter what we want. Uh, And it's just a, a fantastic process. I would add to that one other thing that we continue to hear along with all the reasons Will put in there. Students are also waiting in some cases to get financial aid packages in addition to being accepted so they can see, all right, I can't really understand how much this school is going to cost. They tell me it's not, you know, we're going to get into a little bit this idea of sticker price versus actual price. And so a lot of times that's yet another barrier that's slowing down those visits. When it comes to personalized relevant information, we heard the same from the class of 2023 that we've been hearing now for a couple of years, which is it's just not personal and it's not relevant. And so I think it's important we spend a couple of minutes and understand what both those things mean. Uh, I think there continues to be a big disconnect. Will and I were talking about this ahead of starting today between what colleges and universities feel is personal and relevant and what the target audience that they're actually sending information to or communicating with actually finds personal and relevant. Uh, It's the third year in a row, Will, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that the amount that feel that what they've been getting or what they receive from colleges that felt very personal was under 20%. That means 80, 85, 90%, even north of 90% feel like, eh, it kind of all looks and sounds the same or it's very impersonal. Couple of things that you can do then to make your information more relevant. I would argue it's understanding that to get relevant information out, you need to start to try to build more relationships with students. It's really hard for me to help Will and understand what he needs from me and what would actually be relevant for him if I don't try to learn more about Will. And it's easier once you've gathered information, I understand that. But as you're talking to prospective students, which is what a lot of these students obviously were when they took this survey, what are you doing to try to address things that you know prospective students at the inquiry and prospect stage often either run into as issues have questions about and all of that data is other data you can find in this survey as well it's understanding that i hear from a lot of college admissions counselors leaders uh, enrollment marketers jeremy i put their name in the subject line sure that's helpful jeremy i took out Dear, from the start of a a sentence in my email, and I put high will instead. That's helpful as well. But everybody's doing that now for the most part in 2023, excuse me, 2022. And so you don't stand out as much. Students don't identify that because they're so used to seeing it a lot of times now. Relevancy, though, I would argue, is understanding a little bit more about their wants, their needs, their fears, their goals, right? Do you understand who has indicated they are undecided about their major or program of interest and who has one or multiple programs of interest? When you send out information encouraging students to sign up for a virtual event or come to campus, do you segment and understand who has already visited or who has already done a virtual event? A lot of colleges are not doing this and students are getting it going, 
this isn't relevant to me. I've already visited. Why do I need to come back? It feels like you're just sending out the same things to everybody. Little tweaks in messaging will go a long way in terms of getting students to want to learn more about your school or engage with you. Your location, right? Are you a commuter campus? Are you a campus that you know gets a lot of out-of-state students? Those are, again, different segments of the population that are going to want and require different pieces of information that are more relevant to them. If you're a first generation student, right, which I understand you don't identify that in a lot of cases till later, but once you do, what are you sending them that you know is gonna be more relevant to a first generation student? When it comes to the actual overall approach, students continue to tell us we want a multi-channel approach, right? I've heard it called omni-channel, multi-channel, whatever you wanna call it, we want a little bit of everything. And I know Will's got a slide that shows kind of the breakdown of right there, what channels are influential. You can see for the most part, they're all influential. Sure, emails and letters are more influential than the rest. But as we've been doing this, and even internally at Tutor Collegiate Strategies, you know, for the last eight years, we've been asking around frequency of communication and influence. Very few students say, I never wanted this at all at any point in my college search. So it's understanding that emails, letters, right, texts, you're going to do a lot of that. I understand. You might make the occasional phone call. You might send some postcards. You're going to want to do things on video now. All of that is fine. But it's understanding, again, the most influential channels, as you can see, are email and letter. And letter is one that I know may be surprising to some of you. So let me define letter. Letter is not a view book, right, as Will has under there. Letter is not a glossy brochure. Letter is something that is written, you know, on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, not necessarily by hand, that has language in it, again, that is relevant and feels personal. That is what makes a letter influential to students. So I just encourage you to think from a relevancy standpoint, what are we doing? And then from a personalization standpoint, personalization really is about how you say what you say, right? If I'm giving relevant information, I can still prevent, excuse me, present relevant information in a way that feels impersonal. If I want it to feel personal, it's the language I use. Does it sound like I'm talking with the reader or at the reader? That makes a big difference. Do I use language that, again, is conversational and more relaxed? Or do I use a bunch of acronyms and language that feels overly professional? One of the students, you know, in the survey, I remember reading one of the open comment box responses I was going through said, when you use overly professional language, it's intimidating. It doesn't feel like your campus is welcoming. Students feel things like, if I feel like you're talking with me, if I feel like it's more relaxed, if I feel like you're connecting the dots and explaining why you're sharing what you're sharing with me and how it will benefit me, that all when you put it all together in an email or a letter makes a message feel more personal. I can also tell you that more and more schools are A-B testing and I encourage you to do this or talk to your staff in marketing and communications if you're listening on the admission side. Non-templated emails will feel way more personal than templated emails to students in 2022, meaning it almost looks like a Gmail message. There's no you know, hyperlinks all over the place, three pictures down the side, one picture up top and at the bottom. You have to convince students that whoever's name is on the message could have actually written the message. And then again, if you want them to consider taking the next step, it has to feel personal.
On to virtual events, which I know visits, virtual events have been another big topic of conversation, as Will mentioned. And I just want to talk about meeting students where they're at. Will talked about barriers. And one of the barriers is understanding that some students would love the opportunity to come visit. And for all the reasons Will mentioned, they just can't. Doesn't mean their preference is virtual, but it means what might work for them is virtual. So it's understanding, again, what the data says, and it's broken down pretty clearly that different populations right, have different preferences. Specifically, if you had a chance to break down the data, Black, Hispanic, and Latinx students right, have significantly higher interest in virtual events than their white peers. The gap is literally almost 17 to 20% there. It doesn't mean you don't provide options for everyone, but you understand that for certain students, that's going to be a preference. Then you also understand, again, first-generation students also have a much higher likelihood to not, from an accessibility standpoint, all right, from a financial standpoint, potentially to be able to come to campus even if they want to. Well, what options are you providing for them so they can start to gather some of those pieces of information that are important and start to gather some of those feelings that we all use to help us make any decision in life to help them to understand if I'm going to take the next step or this school is just not a good fit for what I am looking for. When it comes to in-person, and, and so just to be clear, it needs to be both, you know, before I move on to in-person here, those of you that are asking, what, well, Jeremy, we're out of COVID, I don't, you need to still do both. Right. Yes, there is an overwhelming presence, I would argue, for more in-person than virtual for a lot. But as you can see by the data, right, virtual or online, however you want to refer to it, it is here to stay. In-person, you just need to make things more exciting. You know, the in-person campus visit experience, that's what it needs to be. It needs to be an experience. Right. Too often, students talk about feeling like they're being herded like cats. I come in. Somebody talks at me the entire time, vomits information all over me. They pass me off to somebody else. I go to somebody else. I walk around campus. And then I'm handed information and I'm told, reach out if I have any questions and I leave campus. That experience is not exciting for a lot of students. It's back to personalization and relevancy. What do you know ahead of when a student comes to visit campus? Right? What kind of connectors? To make the visit more exciting, can you give the tour guide who's going to be leading the tour that day about one or more students? If you want to increase engagement on tours, they have to be more interactive. That requires training your tour guides to understand asking, do you have any questions, is not an effective way to get engagement. They have to understand, I have to do my best, even if students don't want to open up, to attempt to get them to open up. As I'm talking about how students use different parts of our campus or what happens in these buildings and try to figure out, do students care about what I'm sharing? Is it impactful for them? Did I just get their attention to where now they want more information around that? Your tour guides should hopefully be doing that on the entire tour. And as someone who takes a bunch of tours, I can tell you most tour guides, while they're very nice, they vomit information and it sounds very rehearsed the entire time as they walk through campus. The other thing I would encourage you to do is start to gather, and as Will has on the slide, reuse event footage for those who aren't there. 
a lot of times if students can't get to campus, they still need visuals. And it's great to see pictures on your website or a drone you're flying around campus. It's not the same as somebody walking around campus and actually talking and pointing things out. It's just different. The feel is different. And so much of this process is about feelings and emotions. And so to make in-person or anything you do more exciting, it's about creating more positive feelings and emotions. When it comes to understanding, again, virtual and trying to make it more personal, virtual is hard to be personal, again, if you are doing everything pre-recorded. Doesn't mean there's not value in pre-recording some stuff. Some people love to sit in their room at 11 o'clock at night in their PJs and watch a video or watch something that happened at an event if you put together a little summary video. But I can tell you a lot of admissions counselors who I've encouraged to offer to a student who says, Will, if Will's their counselor, I can't come to campus, but I'd love to be able to see it. And Will says, well, Jeremy, if, I, if I'm the student, Jeremy, you know what? If you've got 30 minutes sometime next week, I'm happy to walk around campus and I can FaceTime and I can something like that that you might think, ah, there's not really going to be a lot of, there's massive value. A, that you're willing to do that for a student and B, that it's going to feel more personal because again, it's one-on-one. -on -one. The student is going to have a whole different set of feelings if you're willing to do something like that. And if you're trying to do it for a group of students, consider using social media, consider doing things that I know some schools did during the pandemic with like Instagram Live. I know schools who during the pandemic would literally use all the different tools that Instagram offers and have things like polls going on while tours are happening and saying, which way do you want us to turn next? Left, right, like just ways to make it more engaging and feel like the students are getting more out of it for them. Because it all goes back to what Will said, and, and I love the Sienna example that he heard at AMA. You know, I've had an opportunity to work with that team at Sienna, and they're amazing. It's all about being student-centered, as Will said. And these are things that you can do to ultimately make your virtual and your in-person and your emails and your letters feel a lot more student-centered and personal and relevant. I think the next big point here uh, is, is one that is extremely relevant right now, given what's going on at the Supreme Court. Students want diversity. You know, do you have it? How do you show it authentically? Just want to remind everyone, diversity is not just what you can see either. It's diverse backgrounds, diverse viewpoints. You know, you know, if all of your students are coming from high wealth families at private schools, regardless of race or ethnicity, there's not much diversity there, right? So thinking about how do we do this? Uh, in terms of diverse backgrounds here, 79% of students said they want college to have a diverse student body followed closely. And these were their top two things they cared about. Second most, 76% want college to have diverse faculty and staff. When we filter it down to just underrepresented minorities, it's 87% and 85% respectively. So if that's something that I know people are saying, well, we need to increase diversity, we need to recruit better among these populations, uh, X, Y, Z there. You know, it, it helps if you already have the diversity, right? Because they want to be able to see themselves there. You know, if you're, if you're recruiting more rural students, okay, can you speak to that experience on campus? If you want more low-income students, can you speak to their experience? Uh, you need to be able to, to showcase uh, who you are, what you have, and do it in a real and authentic way. Couple areas that I know we get some questions about here. How appealing are the HBCUs? And we've seen a lot of growth among the HBCUs. 
21% of all students said that they were appealing. When we look at just underrepresented students, it's 34%. For African-American or Black students, 63%. And we know this is early in the cycle. This doesn't mean 63% of all African-American and Black students will enroll at an HBCU, but they're interested. They want to learn more about it. That's something that's appealing to them in a campus community. They want to be able to see themselves uh, at a school that really prioritizes their own success and their own development. We look at Hispanic-serving institutions. 33% of all students said they were appealing. It grows to 55% for underrepresented minorities and then 82% for Hispanic or Latinx students. There is a big hunger there. I uh, know we, there's over 500 HSIs in the US right now. Uh, so that's something that I think it has to go beyond just student body makeup, but how are you prioritizing the success? How are you making sure that Hispanic and Latinx students are thriving on campus, are getting great internships, great jobs, engaged in the community, feel safe? That's all part of it, right? It's not just saying, hey, we have 25%, so we gotta use this label. It's how are we prioritizing their success and able to show that? So prioritize diversity. You have to show, don't just tell, right? Actions speak and the students expect actual actions, not just DEI committees, not saying, well, we have a plan to increase diversity. What are you actually doing, right? What are you able to pinpoint and point to that's actually moving the needle and actually driving engagement? And you know, diversity is more than just race and ethnicity, right? It's varied backgrounds, varied experiences. Some diversity is invisible. Uh, if you want to increase the representation of a specific population, you need to make sure that they are seen, I think more importantly, valued on campus and not just to show that you're becoming more diverse, right? We can't tokenize people just to say, well, we're increasing diversity, look at us. You have to be able to say that you are recruiting, serving, graduating, uh, and, and supporting these students. You know, I think it really goes back to how you find students too. So if you keep doing to the same things in the same places, using lookalike models to find students who look like who you already have, you're not gonna be finding different students. You'll keep finding these students that look like who you already have. Instead, make yourself more appealing, more welcoming to all students. You know, focus on generating inquiries with campaigns that feature varied voices. Stop using these pictures that look like stock photos, right? Uh, you know, I saw doing some secret shopping. I had a postcard the other day from a school that I know, because I can look it up very easily, is over 75% white, and only 10% of the students on the on the smiling faces on the brochure were white. That to me says, well, it's not really authentic, right? It's not speaking to who they actually are, it's speaking to who they want to be. Um, so there's things like that that you need to think about, because if a student sees that and they go to campus and they have a wildly different experience, is that authentic? Is that real? Is that honest? Um, you know, that's something that I think we need to think about as we're thinking through the, the marketing here. Colleges need a plan here too, to influence the influencers. And this is a term I use a lot and I'm gonna keep using. You need to think about who are the people who are involved in the student experience and the student, um, you know, their decision-making. Who are these people who are going to actually be the ones who then can help influence them for generations to come, right? If you just keep recruiting a class or two at a time, you're gonna be spinning your wheels, but there's a lot of people involved in these decisions that we heard about. These are the people you need to influence who can influence your class two, five, 10 years down the line. When we look at this, you know, they look at these influencers, the most influential person to these are their school and college counselors. These are advocates, right? 
And when we look at first-generation students are even more influenced by their counselor than their peers. So this isn't just about the students, right? It's not just about saying, well, look, we, we got more enrollment. It's about increasing access at this point too. So think about counselor events, newsletters, landing pages, virtual events and videos. How are you reaching the school counselors, the college counselors, the IECs to make sure that they can advocate for you? They know what's new. They know about what's expected. How do you make decisions? They need to have all that information so they can keep advocating. Um, family is also very influential in the search, right? The students don't necessarily want their parents to be included. You know, that's something that we saw the majority of students said, no, I don't want, I don't want my parents. They still want to be the gatekeeper, right? They still want to be able to tell mom and dad what's important, what's going on, but make it easy for students to opt their parents in and for parents to opt themselves in. I just want to point out here too, that family isn't just, you know, mom and dad. You know, or mom and mom or dad and dad or whatever their situation is, step parents involved. Family is also about the older siblings. It's about the grandparents. So don't forget to include them in that experience, right? How can they help advocate for you too? How can they opt themselves in and not have to check a box that says parents? Uh, the faculty and staff were also the next most influential. So they include their voices, give them access to the student events, give them access to things virtually. They want to be involved. Um, Think about referral programs. How are you like bring a friend programs? How are you using these to leverage the opinions of current students to influence their high school friends, right? Or a student comes, they take a visit, they have a great experience. How can they refer a friend to come visit next time? Current students are very important advocates in this process, right? Include their voice here. Make sure it's in the materials, in the marketing, in the events, everywhere you can. Uh, we see alumni play a role less so initially, on this initial influence state than we see when we talk to the enrolling students. Uh, so provide opportunities for them to connect, hear from them, but not necessarily make them the star of the show at this point. You know, once they're accepted, things like that, okay, bring more of them in. That's, that's where they're really focused on making that final decision. Uh, and for students who want a religiously affiliated institution, if that's you, you know, the opinions and recommendations of religious leaders made a difference as well. So if that's your institution, how are you building those relationships and advocates? Um, one thing before I get Jeremy's take on this too, uh, at, at AMA again, uh, Emily Stoltz at Arizona uh, had coined a term that I love, this influencer light, where they're leading with their students to really be the voice of the institution in a lot of ways. They're not in that influencer in the sense of what you might think of when you hear that term, uh, but these are the people who can go out, share their real experiences, share their day-to-day, -day, be involved and have it as their voice as well. So what, what do you think here, Jeremy? I couldn't agree more. And, and to Will's point about current students and that AMA presentation he just referenced, so much of the data when we go deep in the weeds to these comment boxes where we're getting 12, 13,000 students responding to some of these open questions we ask in these surveys, students want, as Will has said a couple of times already, the current student point of view more than they're getting it. And it's not just when they come and visit campus. That's great. 100% they want to hear from a tour guide, no question but they wanna interact, all right, with current students or hear the current, stu excuse me, current student viewpoint at other points throughout this process. And so it's understanding how can you involve your current students more in a way that again, feels authentic and is actually helpful for the student. I would add with the influencers, if you wanna figure out who again is really playing a significant role as an influencer in a student's process, as a call to action and a message or when they're on campus and you're sitting 
possibly in a room if you're their admissions counselor and admissions counselor listening, right? At the end of the visit or at some point during the visit. If I'm sitting there with Will and I'm that person, I'm Will, help me understand who are you bouncing ideas off of if Will's parents are sitting in the room? Is it just your parents here or are there other? It's simply just asking a question like that and then obviously notating in your CRM so that you understand, okay, who else might I need to reach out to just to understand how they're feeling and what things are that might be helpful for them to know. So that again, when you're not around and the conversation comes up with that influencer, that influencer feels like they have an understanding of what might make your school a good fit for that student. I just want to summarize before we dive into Q&A. Um, Will and I have tried to take the high notes and high points here. Obviously, there's so much that we could have discussed today, but so much of this all comes back to being student-centered. It really does. And I just encourage all of you listening to ask yourself, right? Because I'm all about control what you can control. So whatever role you're in, what are you doing every day in any sort of outreach you do, all right, or any sort of conversations you have to be student-centered? And then when you have staff meetings or when you're talking to your counterparts and other offices on campus, you know, have that conversation with them, show them this data. I mean, if you haven't already or encourage them to look at it because what Will and I have seen in all of these partner surveys we've done for the last few years now, Will, correct me if I'm wrong, so many of the pain points are the same, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. 75, 80, 80, it's, it's the same, right? I know I'm repeating stuff. It's getting worse too. Like the yeah. lack of personalization has gone downhill. <laughs> correct. And I'm empathetic and I know Will is too. So many of you are doing multiple jobs. I get it. I'm well aware, right? You're stretched thin. There are a lot of challenges that you have. So I just encourage you to take a step back and go, what are the little changes that I can do now that aren't going to require a massive overhaul, you know, possibly money we don't have, a staffing position we don't have. And I think some of what Will and I talked about today, it's just changing your processes, changing the way you present information. So in everything you do, just ask yourself, am I being student centered? And the last thing I would encourage you to do, and I know there's a handful of schools, probably a lot more than I know that are doing this now, consider having student interns or creating a student leadership type group who is literally involved at multiple times throughout the year in some of the conversations ahead of things like your events, ahead of things like your comm plan when you're overhauling it or looking at what you wanna change or, and get the current student point of view again. They'll tell you if you provide an open, honest place for them to share that I wouldn't send that. Nope, you need to change this. Nope, you need to provide this during an event. And whatever your current students tell you, you can feel confident there's a good chance it's going to resonate with prospective students. All right, Will, I know we got a ton of questions, so let's dive right in. We sure do. Uh, and just a reminder, you can drop questions into the chat on the side there. Uh, we've got several queued up already, um, and we'll, we'll jump right in here. So first off, Jeremy, I'm kicking it off to you. What do students think of the SRAR and other after application items? Yeah, I think you addressed this very clearly earlier, Will, but just to reiterate what you said when it comes to the application as a barrier, you have to, as a college, be more clear as to exactly what your admissions requirements are. And so any, you know, items that basically require, in addition to an application, that needs to be front and center on your website. It needs to be clearly explained when you're doing high school visits, college fairs, um, meetings during campus visits. That lack of clarity and schools kind of doing their own thing will just continue to lead fresh frustration for prospective students. 
All right. Another one for you here. How do you define personalization? I define personalization as relationship building. I mean, I don't think you can have personalization, true personalization without building a relationship with somebody. And I understand there's a challenge in building relationships with people because some people are open to sharing. Some people aren't open to sharing, right? The good news is Will and I hope that surveys like this give you an idea of at least ways that you can almost tell students, hey, you may not share, but I have a feeling I know what you're feeling because you've seen so many other students who are willing to share talk about those things. And so personalization means you try to understand somebody's wants, needs, fears. You make it more about them than you do you and your school by asking direct and intentional questions to learn more about them. And then you take that information they give you and you provide, again, relevant information that feels personal because of the way you present it, aka you make it a back and forth conversation. You try to learn if what you're sharing is helpful, impactful, if it's leading to more questions, things of that nature. Yeah. And I used to actually define this in, in some uh, webinars, but you know, I would, I would take a step further and answer the question you didn't ask there about relevance, right? Relevance, well, personalization is unique to that individual. It's speaking to them as a person, right? Relevance then takes a step further. You know, relevance is the right information, right channel, right time. If you want, if you want to drill it down to that quick, it's giving them what they care about most at the right time, so right stage of the funnel in our sense. Uh, you know, just making sure that it is what matters to them and not what just matters to you. You know, this one. I'm wondering if there's any feedback uh, from schools and data from students talking about the effectiveness of email marketing as it pertains to getting applications. Hey, there is. Uh, of all the comm channels, uh, email was rated as the most influential. Uh, we saw this in the student enrollment survey, so it goes all the way through. 61% of students said that it influenced their interest in a college. Uh, now, when that's something that that's a big number there. When we look at just students who have started applying, you know, 26% of them said that they were influenced to apply to a college they previously had not heard of by an email. I mean, that's something I wanna, I wanna emphasize. This is your prospect pool, right? This is a student who may not have ever heard of you. You get their name from a list somewhere, it's a look like, things like that. You email them, 26% of students said they, they have applied to a college they hadn't previously heard of because of an email. So I, I say, let's think about the relevance there, right? These were emails that spoke something that mattered about that student, and so they they applied them. Uh, you know, if you're just sending out an initial prospect email that says, "Hi, here's who we are," or "Apply today," or "Visit today," that's not going to catch their attention. But if you have a prospect who's interested in business, you lead out saying, "Hey, our business students are doing these things while on campus. They have these internships. Here's our outcomes." That's going to catch their attention, right? 33% uh, of students rated letters, emails, and brochures, so a little bit of everything there is a top three method for researching colleges, which ranked it sixth in preference. So while it may not be their number one preferred way, it can absolutely influence their behavior, right? If it's personalized, if it's relevant, you know, I think that's the big ones, right? It has to be something that matters to them. So many emails are just the basic of, we have this visit coming up. It's not telling them why they should care. Apply today, why should they apply? You know, we have a business program. Well, kudos, why should I care about it? And Jeremy, I want you have a great quote here that, that you pulled out. I did, and this actually came to me from a partner school that we work with literally in the last four days. I got this email from, you know, their associate director of admissions, who's also responsible for executing, you know, the comm flow. 
all of this personalization and relevancy that we're talking about, if you're asking, yeah, but is it really going to work, especially if, you know, all these emails, this is literally what a high school senior right now, all right, said four days ago to their admissions counselor. And this email was forwarded to me. I've been following your emails and you have influenced my consideration for, and then it was the college's name. To answer your question, because in that message, it asked a student, talk to us about what you're thinking about wanting to do in college. What are your interests? And the student said, I have several interests. I haven't decided on a major, but you know what? Thank you for putting in the time to help me find my future. 110%, if you have the consistency, it's all those ifs will said. And the other if I'll add is it has to be consistent. All right. You can come up with a personal message one time or two times, but it's the consistency over time. Right. Students will read a lot of the emails you send them if they're personal and relevant and not engage at all. It might take them until the 17th email before they finally say, you know what, I'm going to send my admissions counselor back a message. Doesn't mean you're not influencing them. So I just wanted you all to see. And I could have shared hundreds, literally hundreds of quotes similar to that. This one just happened to come in a few days ago. Yeah, it's all about timing. Hey, Jeremy, another one for you here. Based on these results, is there an updated recommendation when it comes to frequency of email communications to prospective students and parents? No, I would argue, you know, all the data we've seen in these partner surveys, and then we do surveys internally at Tutor Collegiate Strategies and have for about eight and a half years now, um, they all say the same thing. Willis hit on email being the preferred method. That has been consistent. Uh, the majority of students say, you can send me an email about once a week or maybe once every like six to nine days in this process, regardless of stage. We don't ask them, hey, when you were in inquiry or before you applied, students, we say throughout the process, how often did you want all of these different communications from colleges and universities? And for eight plus years, along with the times we've been doing these partner surveys, the data has been very consistent. If you're emailing more than once every week, I'm not telling you you can't do it, but always ask yourself, is the email student-centered and what is the value for the reader, not for you and for your school? And so, I think it's that omni-channel approach we talked about. Email obviously will be a primary way that you communicate, but if you're sending more than three or four a month, again, ask yourself, what is the value for them and not us? How are we helping make their process easier or providing that relevant information that allows them to feel comfortable and confident about taking some sort of action? All right, so please share any best practices using social media to drive new student enrollment for both first year and transfers. I can't speak to transfer because this is a survey of class 2023, but I would say experiment, see if there's any differences with engagement there. You know, social isn't necessarily going to be your primary driver of enrollment. When we asked about, you know, what influenced you to apply to a college you haven't heard of before, social was very low. What it is going to do is help build some of that awareness, build that consideration, build affinity. That's the big one there. But only 18% said that they applied based on social. 73% though said that they are using social media in their search right now. So that's something that it's a proof point, right? It's something that showcases who you are, shows different angles. They can consume it on their own time. Just give you a rundown here uh, of the networks here. Overall, 73% of students said they are using social media for college search. Um, so we broke it out here as well. Instagram remains the top. It's the only one the majority of students still say is actually influencing them to actually, and uh, uh, they're actually using in their search. So if you're trying to really be focused on having one great presence, it has to be Instagram. 
you know, uh, you don't have to be everywhere, but you do have to be good where you're at. TikTok, YouTube, the next two there. I always want to point out top three there. What do they have in common? They're all visual, right? They all are focusing very heavily on video as well, right? So that's one that that's big. Focus on your short form video content, right? If they want to consume longer form, great, but keep it short, keep it tight, keep it engaging, keep it interesting. This is more where students are actively doing their search. Uh, of students who are using social media in their search, if you focus on Instagram, you're reaching 86% of students who are using social in their search. Yeah, and from a content that influences them, again, we've asked in some of the comment boxes on these partner surveys we've done, and then internally, just to give all of you listening some additional context, we've been asking for eight years at TCS, what do you want to see on different social media platforms in colleges and universities? What would be helpful during your college search? 90% of the answers, and I'm not over-exaggerating that number, almost all of the answers are just show me what it's like to be a student there, right? I want the current student point of view, but I don't want it from the marketing lens, from the admissions lens. I don't want somebody in a polo who looks like they're just reading off or they've memorized something. I just want basically what is authentic content. And I know those of you listening know that, and I cannot encourage you enough. If you've got somebody on your campus who can either A, all right, be willing to go around campus and capture what would be B-roll footage at different events and different, that content is invaluable if you present it in a way that feels authentic. Social students tell us it's the proof to everything you send them. You talk about all these things on your website, you say you have a community, you say you have professors who care. Can you show me what that looks like? And to Will's point, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube are all visual and those are great opportunities to show. Next one here, Jeremy, I'm, I'm directing this one to you. How do students want their parents to be involved in the process? Are they likely to sign parents up for emails if they're asked? Yeah, I feel like this one's a super challenging one. And, you know, I know Will shared some information earlier and it's, I think this is where context is super important. Context super important at a lot of points in life, right? The answer obviously to this question, I would argue is situational and totally based on the family dynamic, right? Because what one family is going to say and what one student's going to say, another might say different, right? 43% of students told us in this survey, they want emails and letters sent to their parents as well. Well, that means 57 don't. Well, what does that mean, right? Students talk a lot in these surveys about, we wanna take ownership of this process. We wanna make it our own. But then what we find, at least at TCS, and we'll, I'd love to hear when I get done if, if Nish data is saying the same thing, when students get on the other side, they've made their college decision and they start their college experience and they look back while it's fresh, they go, you know, my parents ended up playing or my family or somebody else ended up playing an influential role probably more than I expected them to, or maybe even wanted them to. And so my advice always is, you 110% need to find ways to involve parents early and often in this process. I would encourage you to ask the question I gave earlier, which is, who is influencing that student? Who are they bouncing ideas off of? And they say, my parents. My next question that you should be asking is, so like mom and dad or dad and dad both equally or one more? Because it's usually one more than the other. And then it's just about communicating personalized and relevant information to, in this case, parents, because that's what this question was, about key topics, right? And I know every single parent, right, wants information on at least three things. The cost, right? Financial aid's tied in with all that. Safety and outcomes, right? There's other things, but those three, you can feel confident. 
there's probably not a parent, right, going through this process right now, if they end up being an influence, who does not want information on those things. So I would argue while students might tell you, no, you can just send stuff to me, my advice is you find ways to connect with their parents as well, because what parents will also tell you when you connect with them is, when you make them feel like a valued partner behind the scenes, they're doing all kinds of things in terms of encouraging their child or whoever that might be. If it's not the parent, it's another family member to consider to stay on track or to take the next step. Parents will tell you even more, I think many of you listening know, than students will when you make them a valued partner in this process. Yeah, I, I make it easy to get the parents included. So when you're when you're going out, whether it's right after a student inquires, have a supplemental form. Hey, would you like your parents to receive information as well? That's easy. Make it easy to find on your website as well. You know, don't make parents search through all these menus to find the parent portal and then go through a couple more menus to find the register for emails. You know, make it easy for them. Um, I mean, simple things like a postcard, a letter, whatever, with a QR code or and a link. If you have a code, always have the link um, so that parents can scan it type in the link and register themselves, something goes to the home. So that way, if the student doesn't feel like it or they're not opening the emails, they're not engaging with the emails, the parents can still be included. Uh, we have a parent survey coming out a little later this month that'll kind of dive into those, those some more. Next up here, we're seeing seniors applying later and later. I've heard this is a common trend. What's driving it? Uh, you know, the share of students who have started applying was about the same this year as last. So they've started that process. What we're seeing, though, is this flattening of the curve, you know, where the college search used to be very heavily spring of junior year, summer, fall of senior year. Yes, you know, it may be starting about the same, but we're seeing students starting their active search earlier, freshman, sophomore year. But especially we're seeing it go later. Students are still actively searching, researching colleges, applying in their spring and summer after graduation. Even there's a lot of uncertainty there. There's confusion. There's stress. You know, students are less locked in early like they may have been in the past. They want to find the best fit for themselves. You know, they're applying to more colleges, and yet at the same time, they're visiting fewer. You know, there's more activity on online search. We're seeing this ac activity on niche elsewhere. Um, you know, students are saying that they are inquiring directly with fewer colleges on their own websites, but they're not necessarily less engaged. They're just doing it, I, I keep referring to it as a window shopper. They're out there on social, on websites. You know, they're looking, they're talking to their friends, but they're not going up to the college and raising their hand. They're not signing up for a visit, not filling an inquiry form, not reaching out to a counselor, not picking up the phone. You know, pair all of this with what students are saying, they're getting less relevant information. And that's, I think, a big reason why we're seeing this get pushed later and later. You know, they're not getting the information they need and they're taking this approach of just, well, I'm gonna look from afar and find my own information rather than just having a conversation, yeah, it's going to push that decision back a little bit. And I would add, Will, uh, I see this a lot, you know, especially in larger cities, you know, places, New York City, Chicago, um, places in California and, and parts of Texas as well. Obviously, I think many of you listening know, right, the first gen population in this country has, you know, grown significantly over the last three, five, 10 years. And so understanding that, again, a lot of these students and families, this is their first go around at this, or they may not have access to a lot of the same resources as other students do. And so it's just causing them either A, to start this process a little earlier, 
or to B, try to start it earlier, but they have so much confusion, it leads to that frustration that then causes them to hit that pause button until somebody, whether it's their high school counselor, whether it's that influencer that Will talked about earlier, whether it's you know an admissions counselor at a school, offers simply just the help. Like real quick, if any of you listening have a bunch of students right now and you're like, I just want to get these inquiries and prospects to like tell me if they're interested. You should be sending a very short message right now just saying, how can I help you? Literally, that can be your subject line. How can I help you, Will? That's your subject line. And your message can be, Jeremy, I know this college search process. You feel like you have to have it all figured out. You're supposed to have it all decided before. I understand if you're still trying to figure it all out, how can I help? That's your email. I think you'll be amazed at the amount of students who write back and tell you what they need from you or what they're struggling with. So I encourage you to do that if you haven't already done something like that. I know we're getting close to time, so I just want to remind everyone we will send out the recording of this. Jeremy, are you good if we keep going after? 110%. All right. We'll keep getting all these questions answered. It'll be available in the podcast and the webinars and the recording. You'll get all this tomorrow. So in case you do have a meeting coming up, I know some people schedules are tight. You don't have to feel like you're going to miss out. All right, Jeremy here. What are the best practices for talking about price, the sticker price versus the actual? Yeah, this is, again, talk about loaded questions, right? Um, there's so many different ways I could answer this, but but as I saw this question come in, I thought about a few things. I think the first and foremost is whoever's doing the talking about this, and I'm finding more and more as I travel around and work with admissions and enrollment teams, admissions counselors are being asked to have these initial conversations. It's not necessarily just, for example, the financial aid team on a college campus. So it's just understanding we have to start at the 101 level and let me define what that means, all right? There is what's called sticker price. A lot of students may not be familiar with the term sticker price. So one of the early things you're going to have to do is define for them. All right, you're going to go to Google. You're going to go to a bunch of college websites and you're going to see a total. That's what we call or that's that phrase you've heard called sticker price. And then what you're going to want to say is some version of the following, right? And this could be written in an email. You could be doing this at a high school visit, a college fair at any point in this process, having this type of conversation. No student or very few students at our school pay anything close to that. I can try to explain to you how that number comes down, but honestly, it's a lot of complicated math. I want you to humanize the conversation. That's what I'm doing there, all right, in a way that they can understand, but understand things like scholarships, things like grants, not only from the school, but possibly the federal government brings that number down. And then you can look for things like outside scholarships. You can give them some ways the number comes down, but then also tell them, I would love if I'm talking to Will, I would love Will to be able to tell you what it's going to cost you to come here. The thing is, it honestly, it's different for everybody. And the best thing you can do is try to figure out, okay, even if it comes down a significant amount, is that still a number you could feel comfortable with, right? Because I know internally a lot of you listening, even if you don't have the data, somebody on your campus has data and knows what the average, for example, first year student is paying on your campus this year. I encourage colleges to find ways to share that data, but I also want them to share it with a caveat, which is don't tell students it's 25,000 if you start at 55,000 sticker price, because then they're gonna assume they're paying 25,000. You have to basically tell them that's what the average in that example first year student is paying this year, just as a way to show them how the number comes down, but then also say, honestly, you could end up paying less than that, or you actually might end up paying more than that. The only way to know for sure 
is to go through the process and complete all the next steps. And so just trying to get them to understand cost is important, price is important as they're doing their research, but understand these numbers you see, very few students end up paying anything close to that. And you don't have to try to explain what discounting is or don't try to do any of that, right? All that's gonna do is lead to more confusion. Just explain to them, all right, that if cost is important, figure out what else on their list is important and then go through the process and start to ask their admissions counselor or when they go on a visit somebody in financial aid, questions on, can you walk me through how you're gonna bring this number down? And can you give me an idea of what some of those scholarships look like, what some of those grants look like? You'll start to get a much better idea, at least of a ballpark of what that number might end up being. Yeah. And, and this is something that's so different than any other buying process that the students have. If you go buy a cheeseburger, you don't have the situation, right? So being able to talk about honestly, openly, early in the process, using your net price calculator as even a, an inquiry tool, have that front and foremost, let students opt in after they see. There's things like that, but yeah, it's tough. Uh, what's the best way to encourage students to apply at this point in the cycle? Get them excited. Make them want to apply. Don't just spend all of your bandwidth telling them to apply, you know, deadlines, this, that. Tell them why they should want to, what matters to them, why, what experience are they going to have, why should they be enthusiastic about doing this. That's what's going to actually drive the, the, the application. It's not, oh, I just didn't know I could apply, right? It's why should I care about this institution, especially if it's a prospect, right? What's going to move that needle? You know, talk about, you have all these data points on them. Talk about their majors and not just say we have this major and it's da 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 da. Talk about what experiences they'll have. What what will they right off the bat be doing first year in college? You know, what does it look like as they move through? What internships? But lead it all and frame it all with student stories, with those types of proof points. How are we making it about them and not just being self promotional? Yeah, and in addition to that, Will, one thing I would add is as your calls to action, some of those messages, for example, if they're emails, ask the student, all right, if I'm sending Will an email, Will, what information can I share with you that would help you feel more confident to take the next step and start your application? Just ask. Or Will, what's the biggest thing you're wondering about when it comes to being a student at X, X being the name of your college or university? Ask them what their top concerns are. It's okay, all right, to even say, Will, what's holding you back from starting your application at X? That's totally okay to ask. You're not being too, all right, evasive, students tell us if you ask. They're okay with the directness as long as they feel like you're asking, not to put pressure on them, but because you want to understand, all right, do they feel like your school is a good fit? Do they have some concerns or do they need help and they just don't know what questions to ask or they're afraid to help? So you have to have that empathy in there too. All right, in light of our COVID experience, which I, I love that phrasing of it, uh, our COVID experience, has travel distance from home to college changed any? Yeah, students continue to tell us, you know, all the data in these surveys we do, all right, fit matters to most students more than distance. Um, there was no, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but there was no significant change in the preferences for students to attend, you know, college further, closer to way. From home this year, 56% of students were either willing to consider going to a college or university that is more than four hours from home or they have no preference about distance and they're more concerned with fit, all right? Now, let me you know, clarify that statement. 
in the beginning of the process, what we see is all of what I just shared there. Students are more open to it. Here's what you need to do, though, if you want to get them to take the next step. All those student stories and things that Will's talked about, all the personalized, relevant, your visits, all these things we've discussed today, right? How much of that are you doing earlier in this process while also asking some very important questions like, what's the biggest thing, all right, you're worried about going to college four hours away from home or six hours away? You have to try to gauge how they're feeling as they're learning these different things. Because then what we also find on the flip side, I referenced, all right, we do surveys when students have now made their decision, they've started is, if at the end of the process, when they get ready to make their decision, it's not clear to them, they haven't seen those student stories, they haven't, students are gonna default a lot more times than not to say, I'm gonna make the safe, easier decision, which probably is staying closer to home if it checks almost all those. So you really have to, throughout this process, be very intentional in the way you present information in a personalized, relevant way. Students are open to it, but understand you don't stop presenting it once they, for example, submit their application. Then you need to just present it in a different way, right? In a way that helps them continue to see themselves there. If you do that, you'll continue to have a fair amount of students, right? At least be willing to ultimately consider going farther away from home. Yeah, there has to be that reason why, right? All right. How frequently do students want to receive information regarding the college and their application? What's the fine line between communicating and not becoming nagging? Uh, so I think it really is a fine line. This has to, uh, to do a lot with the value and relevance in that contact. You know, are you just checking in saying, hey, are you have you made a decision yet? Things like that. Or are you telling them to visit for the 20th time? Which it may sound like I'm joking, but I'm secret shopping and I've been told 20 times to visit. Um, you know, being is your email is your postcard is your view book just purely promotional and not just relational is it not relevant to what student wants uh, you know there's a reason the word spam came up a lot in student responses uh, when they're talking about mail and email from colleges so is it personal is it relevant will is it helpful for them right and not for yep. the school yep who is it who's this for so mention this a little bit this is the highest acceptable frequency the students reported. Remember, that doesn't mean desired. That means acceptable. If I'm getting highly relevant, really useful emails, giving me new information, giving me new student perspectives, yeah, a weekly email might be great. But if all you're doing every week is saying, apply today, visit today, you know, hey, how's it going? That's not worthwhile. You're wasting my time even reading that. Uh, email was the one they're most acceptable receiving weekly. Beyond that, it drops off pretty fast. Uh, you know, monthly, less than once a month. The big one there is students at this point saying they never want to receive this. That's where I think once there's a relationship built, they may feel differently. Like if they really get to know their counselor, a phone call might make a lot of sense. A video chat may make a lot of sense. Texting back and forth may make a lot of sense. But just out of the blue, if you're just start calling students all the time, they don't want it. Uh, email, only 3% of students say they never want to receive it. So, you know, we've got, you have to give them what they want. And this is something I always encourage on the inquiry form early on in the process, ask them how they want to be contacted. Because while you might see here that only 13% of students want a weekly phone call, you might run into a student that says, yep, that's the best way. We don't have great internet access here. Call if you need anything important. You know, that's, that's a big one there. 
And Will, I would add a couple of things there um, that might be helpful for those listening or looking at the screen. Additional data that we have at TCS that breaks this down even more over the last couple of years, texting, for example. We've asked students, at what point were you comfortable receiving texts from college messages, right? So not just frequency, which is important, but like at what stage in this process or at what point? And what we've seen has been very consistent over the last 24 months. There's about 25 to 30% of students who are like, I was comfortable at any point with a college text to me. But it's about 60, 65% of students who are like, I don't want to text from any college until I've either applied or I've been accepted. All right. So that's, I thought, information that would be helpful. And then real quick, when it comes to phone calls, all right, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. All right. Phone calls. You see that 41% and you go, good, I don't have to make phone calls. I promise you, when you do phone calls the way that students want, students tell us literally and have for eight years, there is no other communication you can do, no email, no mail, no text, no video chat you can do that feels as personal, all right, as a phone call when it's done correctly. But understand because of the fact that students don't make phone calls to each other, because of the fact that people get nervous, there's anxiety, all this stuff we know, you have to understand phone calls are only for important conversations. So students are open to it, but what they do not want is cold calls. And I think, again, the number continues to be so high at never because students are like, well, I assume you're just going to call me, kind of like spam me with emails and just vomit information or ask me what questions I have. And this is a waste of my time. And oh, by the way, I wasn't even expecting your call. No, I don't ever want something like that. Yeah. I mean, even setting it up in advance and saying, hey, is there a time that I can call you and your parents, put them on speakerphone, we can walk through financial aid, walk through this program. Hey, I've got this student who will be available at the same time. We can all call together. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Just calling a student at four o'clock just to check in on them or encourage them to apply. Don't do it. All right. That was that was finally all of our pre-submitted questions. We had quite a few come in. Uh, I, a reminder here, if you want to get in touch with us, all that information is up on the screen, the QR code. If you haven't seen the, uh, the results yet, you can snap that or go to the link, niche.bz slash 2022 fall survey. Uh, we'll jump right in here. Uh, the first one here, is it possible to see the results? Uh, and this was speaking back when we were doing the personalization. Uh, is it possible to see results broken down by demographics? For example, coming from a four-year private, I'd be interested to see how students interested in four-year privates answered. Yes, uh, there will be a tableau up on there as well. Just it's a very busy time. It wasn't finalized to the way I wanted it to be. Uh, so yes, that will, and I'll, I'll follow up with you uh, about that. Uh, Jeremy here, regarding channels for receiving information, did you ask specifically about digital and visual content? Will, I'm going to turn that over to you because I can't remember all the questions and you probably can remember yep. better than me. All right. Yeah. Uh, yes, to a degree. Like we, we didn't ask and we have asked in the past, you know, what exactly do you want to see in this channel? What in that? Uh, it it didn't really matter across which channel. Students want to be able to see themselves. They want to be able to hear from students. They wanted relevant information. You know, it, it's not like students were saying, uh, oh, I, I want this type of information that way, that type of information that way. The one thing that came up a lot in the free response though, students talked a surprisingly high amount about they liked information with student photos, with bright colors. Uh, a couple of students talked about the branding and the colors and it's, okay, these students are getting savvy at this point. Uh, you know, your brand and the way you present and your marketing really matter. So having something that's going to be eye-catching, going to be visually appealing, absolutely does matter regardless of channel. I mean, print we think of a lot, think about your emails, you know, all of that does matter. 
Yeah, I would add, again, just specifically to a couple of that, and I'm not sure if this is where the question was going. That A-B test I mentioned earlier, again, more and more schools are doing, especially for email, all right? If digital, it all means email in your world, right? For the person asking the question, non-templated emails. Seriously, you don't need any images. So much of your email and text because of the saturation and volume that we all receive it, not just from colleges, but from like companies and all that. They just don't believe you exist, for example. If it says Will Patch, now there's nobody named Will Patch. Come on, that's just some name somebody's put on there. You have to convince them otherwise. And that's, again, personalization, relevancy, consistency, all these things that we've talked about will help you do that. But authenticity is huge and, and they have to believe, right? It's, I would argue it's more about what you say than what you, for example, in an email, show them. Uh, in the survey, were students asked if extracurriculars were important? If so, what activities did most did most want a college to have in order for them to consider attending? Absolutely. We asked about having a variety, and that's the big one there, because in the past, we have asked about specific events like esports or this club or that club, and the numbers were all really, really low. What students want is that variety, though, right? They want to be able to experience new things, try new things. You know, there's there's these individual events that do matter very deeply to students. So on the inquiry form, on the application, ask them what matters to them and give them that relevant information. Because while you may have 10 students a year who say the ultimate Frisbee is a be all end all for them, but if, if you can show them that information, that's gonna stand out and that'll help you recruit that student. Uh, and Jeremy, I think you touched on this a little already. What data do you have that reflects on what students tend to go to colleges that are over 150 miles away? Um, in terms of the demographics, we'll have to get that later. But if you just want to talk about that 150 and if that matters all that much. Can you repeat the question, please, Will? Yeah. Uh, what data do you have about students wanting to go over 150 miles away from home for college? Yeah. And, and I'm, I don't know if you know, 150 is an exact number, but in terms of just students going farther away, right? Here's what we continue to see, because one of the open comment boxes on the survey was what would, and I can't remember how we worded it, Will, but it was some version of what, you know, what does a college need to do or show you that would help you make, you know, have that confidence to be able to do that. There are a few things, right? Like if a student athlete is being recruited by one of your sport programs, they'll go across the country nine different states away, right? because of the opportunity to play their sport, right? So whatever population of your students that might be student athletes, if they're being recruited by a coach, that 100% is a huge like positive in their brain that would allow them to possibly go farther away. If they have family or friends who are going to that school or already at that school, that's a huge driving force behind being willing to go more than 150 miles away, right? It's all around a sense of, will I feel safe and feel like I can go to a community that maybe is like the community I have now that I feel good about? You have to be able to show them and explain to them how, all right, coming this far away is going to be okay. And that also involves addressing common fears and concerns that you know a lot of students who move farther away have, all right? What happens at Thanksgiving if I can't go home? What happens at Christmas that you need to address those things, again, back to relevancy, in a way that feels personal to students that you know, for example, might be from 150 miles away or farther, if again, you're going to expect those students to realistically consider taking whatever the next step is or ultimately choosing your school. Yeah. Um, this one for you, Jeremy, if only three or four emails per month is recommended, does the same apply to texting? 
well, weekly is what, Will, I don't know if you can slide back to the text data there and the whole yep. overall screen you had a couple slides ago, but, but let's go back to it, right? This number, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, 32% for weekly. I feel like that's gone up a little bit over the last year or two, correct? Like, I feel like yep, that a is- little, A little, yep. And, and just always reiterating, this is highest acceptable frequency, right? Right. But look at what you're seeing there, all right? You've got about 80% of students who are saying, at some point, I'm comfortable with text messages, right? This is where, as I mentioned earlier, and that's why I provided that additional data. And, you know, that additional data, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, those surveys are actually done with students who are either incoming first-time students, so they've already made their college decision but haven't started, or they've actually started their first year. And when we survey them and we ask, okay, you've gone through it now, when were you comfortable? What we continue to see again are those numbers I talked about earlier. But from a frequency standpoint, I would 100%, unless there is a relevant reason for sending more than one text a week, right? Because there's a scholarship deadline coming up. You're double checking, they signed up for a visit or a virtual event two months ago and you're worried they didn't write it. You shouldn't be sending more than one text message a week unless again, there is some value in it. It's just like email, always ask yourself or any of these communications, as I said earlier, what is the value in it for them, not you? Yes, you want them to apply. They've chosen not to do that. How are you gonna help them if you want to, again, nudge them? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on price resets for private colleges with high sticker prices? I have some definite thoughts. What uh, What are you thinking? So go ahead, Will. I'll I'll defer to you because I could talk about <laughs> that for another forty five minutes. Oh, uh, I mean, we we have been seeing over and over again the majority and a large margin of every income quintile saying they are eliminating colleges from consideration based on the sticker price, not the final cost, not how much scholarship they're getting on the sticker price. So they are choosing not to inquire, not to apply based on the sticker price. Now, there's two lines of thought. There's there's a lot that goes into this. There's who is my audience? Because I've run into situations in the past where student where parents would say, well, you you know, you cost less than our high school, so you can't be any good. Um, that's not the norm, but there are absolutely parents that think that way. So if that is your target audience, I only want to attract the wealthiest families who think that price equals, um, you know, quality, then absolutely keep going the way you are. Keep increasing tuition when you're 70000 a year. Um, but when you look at who you're eliminating, you know, if you are mission driven to serve first generation low income students, you absolutely cannot keep doing that. You know, so many of them are saying that that, that middle range where 50% are saying that they would not consider a college over this is between 30 and 40,000. So think about what your sticker price is. Are you okay saying half of students aren't going to consider me, right? It's going to get harder every year if you keep increasing tuition. Resets are hard because I've seen a number of times where the reset was done and then it just crept back up to higher than it was before. The reset was done, but aid was pulled back. So it's actually more expensive for students to go there. You know, yes, you might earn more consideration, but is it actually more affordable? There's a lot, you know, you cannot just do a reset and change nothing else. There has to be other actual changes that make it a more affordable option, not make it look like it's more affordable. Uh, you know, yes, everyone can start bringing these prices down because we're all playing the game of giving more and more financial aid. Uh, you know, discount rates are north of 60%. Yes, you can bring that down, 
you know, I think in a perfect world, we would say everyone just pays what it actually costs, but no margin, no mission, right? If you can't, if you can't make a little bit, you can't invest in new programs. You can't invest in new facilities. You can't invest in students. Um, so yes, I would say absolutely consider it, weigh your options, but know that it's not a magic shot in the arm. You can't just reset the price, change nothing else, and assume that everything's going to be awesome in the future. Yeah, look at your data is the only thing I would add, right, Will? I mean, 100%, I agree with everything Will said, just to be clear, but look at your data. Your data, you know, again, your data and your mission, you know, are, are, are keys to answering that question. I think this is the last one here. Uh, and it's it's another one that's not a quick answer, perhaps, but uh, is there evidence suggesting that the admission cycle is no longer working? Are students wanting, to, wanting or driving a shorter cycle to attend college? Sometimes I feel higher ed's trying to fix a broken system. Is it time for a new approach? Another another quick and easy one, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, again, it there's so many different ways to answer that question based on, again, the person you're talking to, right? Um, if I'm talking to, and I'm just trying to think of an applicable example, right? For example, my neighbors across the street whose son is a freshman at a, a private college in Florida this year. I know for four years they were going through the college search process, bouncing ideas off me researching. They had made a decision before he finished his junior year, right? So, I mean, it still went over three years, but like the normal process, which is we kind of start maybe doing a little bit of research as a junior and then senior years when we, there are some families who are just, you know, starting the process earlier and ending it earlier. But then there are a lot of families who, again, honestly, don't think about it until senior year goes because of a couple of things. And I think I referenced this on a previous podcast. My other former neighbors actually now, they recently moved. Uh, they have a daughter who's a sophomore in college. They have a son who would have been a freshman. And they went back and forth with him his senior year of high school because he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do. He didn't have any direction. And they just said, we're not paying for you to go party somewhere for four years. So that's okay. But like start working a part-time job, look at community college, look at some other things and like, we'll figure it out here. It's such a hard question to Will's point earlier to answer, right? Because it's so individual. But I think as a whole, no, I think you're going to continue to see the cycle kind of, we've been asking, all right, when did you know, right? Like, this is my school, this is where I'm going. And at least TCS wise, the internal data I have, and literally what we say is basically prior to your junior year is an option, right? And then we start basically at Christmas of their junior year and we list every single month through their senior year. And I have about two and a half to three years of data on that. It's only about 25, 27% of students that either in their junior year or like by Christmas of their junior year knew where they were gonna go. The majority of, and that's been very consistent for a handful of years now. So. I would say I don't think we're going to see a massive flip. I don't know if you agree or disagree, Will, but I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see a massive shrinking or in the traditional anyways. We know the transfer process is completely different. We know the grad and online world, those decisions are happening in a matter of days or sometimes hours, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I hesitate to say broken. I would say cracked, damaged. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we keep seeing students talk about barriers, things that prevent them from applying, um, you know, things that prevent them from enrolling, things that prevent them from thriving in college once they get there. You know, it, it's all these hoops the students have to jump through, right? How do they inquire? Well, let's start it early. You know, if they go to your website, can they find the inquiry form? 
A lot of times the answer is no. They have to search for it. They have to scan through a bunch of pages. That is not a great system. To apply, you know, can I fill out the application? Oh, it's four pages long. It requires all this stuff. You know, why am I filling out all this information? Do they really need it? Are they going to use this to make an admissions decision? That's damaged. You know, oh, after I submit it, I also have to submit three letters of recommendation. I have to submit an essay. I have to submit my transcript. I have to submit an essay. I have to submit da 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 da. That's damaged. Uh, you know, once once I get everything in, okay, I haven't heard from them. Have they received everything? Have they not? You know, where am I at? What's my update? That's damaged. Uh, there's a lot of things that aren't working. So that's why we see students extending their search longer. You know, that's something that there's a reason students are still applying in spring. Um, in our, our spring, our fall uh, enrollment survey, looking at the students who enrolled in college this fall, uh, we, one of the questions we asked was, were there colleges you wanted to apply to and you wanted to go to that you didn't apply or didn't complete an application? Um, the big reasons there, too long, too many materials, too confusing, um, too expensive to even apply with application fees. You know, there's these things that we're just setting up barriers after barriers after barriers. Uh, there's a reason that there's so much interest in direct admissions. You know, how do we streamline this? You know, what is it? I think it's 60% of college admit, admit at least 80% of applicants. So why should they have to jump through 20 hoops if they have an 80% chance of being accepted, right? Uh, so there's things like that that are kind of, okay, can we simplify it? Do we need all this? You know, I would hesitate to say broken. I would say it just needs some attention um, focused on experience. Is this the experience we want students to have coming in the door? Is this an experience that leaves a good taste in their mouth? Is this an experience that's necessary even? Yeah, and I, I would just add quick, and I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but I know it's been helpful for people, so I'm gonna say it one more time. Please, 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 when you survey your current students, right, ask them about these things. Because if you ask the right questions in an anonymous survey, they'll tell you all the things that are broken that Will's talking about, and they'll tell you whether they agree, and they'll tell you even how to fix it if you ask the right questions, right? You'll see trends if you do that multiple times or over multiple years, but there's no doubt, as Will said, there are some things that need to be fixed and or streamlined. Yeah. We had one last question come in here. Um, any data regarding recruiting events, visit days hosted on campus? What are students looking for? In terms of, I'm assuming that question, all right, just means, you know, like a fall open house or, you know, I mean, you know, Will is that the way you're interpreting it as well? That's how I would read it, like a, a group visit day or I would say, yeah, at recruiting events, I would think that would kind of be. Yeah. It. In larger settings like that, oftentimes it's just all about connections and opportunities for connections. I mean, so much of this is, you know, students make a decision about, yes, I want to go to a school that, again, I feel comfortable with. I feel like I'm going to fit in. I feel like there's this sense of community. I feel like I'm going to be able to get a job when I graduate from here. Anytime they can connect with people from your institution, current students, admissions people, financial aid, professors, alumni, anybody who can give them some light of, I've been there where you are, let's talk about it. Here's some things that were helpful for me. Those are always going to be beneficial and I would argue large scale events. It's much harder, right, to obviously do that one-on-one -on -one intentional personal outreach based on numbers. Find ways, whether it's breaking people up in small groups, doing things where you ask ahead of time so that you can hopefully put students in different situations where it's relevant info that they care about that they're getting, not that they're being forced into. And then they get an opportunity to have 
some interaction or at least hear from people who are giving them information that again, help them have some sort of a feeling around, I can see myself here, I could fit in here, I could see myself doing the same type of career or something similar to this person. And I'm glad to hear that like professors and other people and resources that are here are available to me if this is where I go. So large scale events, I always focus on how many opportunities are you creating for connections, right? And again, it's not about vomiting information. It's not about offer opportunities for them to be able to connect with all kinds of different people, ideally, right? People in areas that they have interests yeah, and, and the student feedback, when we asked two questions on this and the results, you can get to those from the QR code or link here. One on what were things that you really loved on, on campus visits? What were things that you wish colleges didn't do? Uh, you know, the ones that they loved were these, they were relevant, they were mean with students, all this. Things they didn't like, large tours, walk around pointing at buildings, but never getting to see the dorms where they're going to spend a lot of time. Uh, you know, they use the word dorms. I know residence life hates that, the residence halls, right? Students say dorms, so use dorms. Uh, you know, there's there's all these things that they really look for. They want new information, not what they already saw on your website, not what they already saw on the videos, not what you already sent them. What's a new experience here? What's something that really speaks to your campus specifically? I think creating that sense of place, right? What are they going to see, do, hear that's different than what they're hearing and seeing and doing everywhere else? What is unique to you uh, that, that stands out? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, give a shout out here to to the Siena team, really focusing around the experience, making it an exciting experience. They want energy, right? Yeah, well, and I would add, you know, one thing to that, because obviously, you know, many of you will start thinking about a mid-student day events here in the next couple of months. If you're doing that, understand you're going to have different segments of students who show up to that, just like you will a fall open house, meaning you're going to have some who've already made their decision and are coming to your school, and you're going to have some who are undecided. Right. Little things like having a button or having something that allows, right, those two different groups to connect with each other. Because I see Will's wearing that button. And even though I don't know him, if we get put in a small group together for some activity, maybe I'm willing to say, hey, like, how did you end up picking this school? Or how, something again that provides that opportunity, because whether it's a fall open house or it's a spring event, Oftentimes, you've got so many different groups of students who are at different spots in this process, and they need different things from you. But ultimately, what they all need, right, is personal, relevant information and stories from, again, other people who can speak to what they would experience if they came to your school. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up. Uh, I appreciate you, Jeremy, for staying late here. I know we went just a hair over time. Uh, and thank you to everyone who hung out here. We'll be following up tomorrow with the recording, with the slides, with all that. Um, if you have any other questions, you have our emails here. Get in touch with us. Uh, happy to answer more and continue the conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you, Will. Thanks for the help with all of this again this year. And just everybody listening, Will and I greatly appreciate your time and attention. And we would love to hear from you if you have thoughts on the webinar or any questions around the survey. So good luck to everyone.